sorry. No, no worries. I was actually just waiting for the little red recording. There's a little bit more and then it's... Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ivy. Hi, thank you. Thank you for that introduction and thank you for asking me to lead tonight. My name is Ivy. I am a compulsive overeater and that is huge for me to say that publicly in a room full of 150 people. Um, and congratulations to all the newcomers and all the chip takers and all the birthday people. Here's, um, in a nutshell, I never, ever um, raised my hand that I was a newcomer. Even when I was new, I would look people boldly in the face and go, no, I'm not new. I'm not new. And I was in a meeting with four people and clearly they knew they had never seen my face before, but I was clear that I was not going to identify as a newcomer. Just to qualify, I've been in program about three and a half years. I came into program because I didn't know where else to turn. I was desperate. My medical chart said that all of my ailments were due to obesity and I could not stand the word obese because I was in denial that I was as overweight as I was. I just thought I was typical. I, you know, I kept saying to myself, you know, if I lived in the Midwest, I'd be normal. If I lived down South, if I, you know, everything was if I, if I, if I. So I was in complete denial about my medical condition due to my weight. Um, I came in because I didn't know what else to do. I eventually found a sponsor, started working a program. Physic, my physical recovery includes a maintaining a weight loss of over 70 pounds for three years. I lost weight quickly and I maintained a normal healthy body weight. I no longer am pre-diabetic. I no longer have my have to give myself injections of um, insulin resistant drugs in my thigh every day. I no longer have to take statins for high cholesterol. Um, that's just the book jacket blurb and that also is just my physical recovery. That is a very, very, very small part of my story. My physical recovery is what is obvious and you can see it. You can see that I used to be one size and now I'm a different size. But what's more subtle is the spiritual, emotional, and psychic recovery that I am in the process of through working these steps. Um, so I will backtrack a little bit. I came into program because I did not know where else to go. I grew up in a very large, very loving, very tight-knit um, Romaniat Jewish family in New York City. Um, it's just anything that you might think of. My big fat Greek wedding meets Fran Drescher's The Nanny all come congealed into one. That was my family. Um, so there was a lot of love, and that's not to say it was without dysfunction. You know, there was the, you know, kind of the pervy uncle and there was, but everything was just kind of part of what it was. But because there were always so many people around me, I was able to compare myself to other people so well. And nobody did this for me. This is not something, I'm not making excuses that someone else blamed me, you know, blame, I'm not blaming anyone else for making this about me. This was how my mind worked. In my mind, oh, I'll never be as pretty as she is. Oh, I'll never be as smart as he is. Oh, I'll never be as tall or as educated or whatever. I always was comparing myself. And this was in the middle of love. This was in the middle of love. 
but I grew up with certain messages sent to me by this wonderful, loving, yet dysfunctional family. And one thing was, we take care of our own, don't air your dirty laundry. So when I was going through any kind of confusion in my mind or any doubt or what I now can recognize as character defects rearing its ugly head up to the front of, of the line, um, there's no one to talk to about that because I was told, take care of yourself, you know, um, and, and don't air dirty laundry. Don't talk to people about these things. So I stuffed things down. And what I learned also at a very young age, because I grew up with depression era parents, again, not making excuses. I'm just stating reasons. You know, a chubby child was a sign of, of prosperity and wealth. Because if you could afford to feed your child, then you were doing great. So I was encouraged to, you know, I had a healthy appetite and that was encouraged. Like, oh, look at her. Because when I was young, the truth is I was very, very, very skinny. And they tried to kind of chuck me up a little bit by giving me cream instead of milk or giving me, you know, sour cream instead of yogurt and things like that. Again, not an excuse, just a reason that I learned that food was love. Food was love. If you love me, you'll finish eating. Look what I made for you. Isn't this wonderful? So I grew up with these ideas. Food is love. Don't air dirty laundry. Take care of yourself and take care of your own. So I grew up in this family where that was normal. And I was in a typical size. I was a little bit overweight. You know, you go through, you know, peaks and valleys, you know, as I grew taller or as I went through puberty, different things hit. And, um, and then I just didn't know who I was. My life was defined by my family and my food. I used to come home from school in the afternoon and watch television and make myself these, you know, this is before microwaves, I'm gonna date myself, these boil in a bag foods that you would like boil, it was frozen and you would boil it and you take it out. And I would do that and then I would still have a full dinner with my family later. And I did that because I was lonely. I didn't realize I was doing it because I was lonely. I didn't realize I was doing it because I was bored. I was doing it because that's what I did to occupy time. So I learned all of these behaviors and these behaviors really worked for me when i was oh i'm sorry if you hear my dog in the background i'll try and shush them um but i learned how to cope with different um emotions i didn't recognize an emotion i didn't recognize when i was hungry i didn't recognize when i was tired i did not recognize when i was frustrated angry upset anything all i knew is hmm, i feel a little peckish i think i'll eat something and that was normal so I went through my life, just going through my life, doing this, always feeling a little bit different. It was kind of like the, the, the story about the ugly duckling that I felt like I was a swan among ducks. Like I didn't fit in, even though I totally fit in. Everything, you know, everyone was there around me. I just felt different. Nobody put this on me. My brain said, you're different. I was such a perfectionist that at age four, I was taking dance class, I couldn't even tell you if it was modern dance or ballet or tap, but I remember being about four years old and I was so proud of the progress I was making in my dance class. I had this little bib with sequins sewn on it for every time I did well. And there was something, and I don't even remember if it was a rehearsal or if it was a recital, but I remember I stepped out of line. I missed a beat and I had one step out. I was so humiliated. I never went back to dance class. And to this day, I do not dance like formally, like I'll kind of like, you know, rock and roll and move around with my kids and stuff, but I don't dance. I was such a perfectionist at such a young age. I also grew up with um, vision problems. So I was told that I was clumsy 
And I believed it. I believed, therefore, I'm clumsy. I'm not athletic. What am I going to be good at? I'm going to be good at school. I dove into academics and I became a really good student. And I prided myself on being a good student, so much so that I started college at 16. And the only reason I started college at 16 was because my mother wouldn't let me start at 15. She made me stay in high school an extra year. She said, you're too young, you're too young. So I started college at 16, still not knowing who I was. Not knowing who I was, I didn't have really long-term relationships. I didn't have a boyfriend. I had a high school boyfriend, but I broke it off just because, for no reason other than, well, we're probably gonna break up someday when you go away to college and stuff. Might as well break up now, because I had no idea how to make a relationship last. So I go through college and I also don't really have relationships. I graduate college really young and I started my career. I have this really funny story how I got my first job. I was waiting tables, but I told somebody that I was graduating soon, which I was, and I got a job in my field before I even graduated. It was this wonderful story because I was just so driven academically because that's really, I thought that's all I was. I thought that was all, all that I was good at because I wasn't, in my mind, I wasn't pretty, I wasn't thin enough, and if only I would lose weight and be a little prettier, I'd get the guy, I'd get the career, I'd get everything I wanted. And I went through my 20s believing that. So here I am now, you know, by the time I'm 23, I have two master's degrees, I'm working in my chosen field, and I'm still kind of like like a poser. I don't really know who I am. I don't know what's going on. And I'm in a long-term relationship. It's not really good. I break up, I get back together. I break up, I get back together. Always thinking it was because of my weight. Oh, he only wants to be with me because I'm thin. If I gain weight, he's going to dump me. You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to dump him first. And then I'm going to lose a whole bunch of weight. And then I'm going to get in another relationship. So, you know, between breaking up with someone and losing a bunch of weight and being great, and then you know, that wasn't the answer. So the answer is getting into a relationship. So then I would lose weight to get into a new relationship and you know, that didn't work out so well. So that wasn't the answer. And I would kind of ping pong with my weight, not tremendously, but just enough to now in hindsight, see that I was kind of compulsive about this because I thought that my weight was my answer. I also need to say this, I grew up in a faith-based home. And I was taught, one of the many things I was taught was that God would always provide for me. So I used to go to bed at night and pray to be skinny. I used to go to bed at night and pray, God, please, when I wake up, let me be skinny so I can be popular. And then I will diet for the next six months to prove to you, God, that you did the right thing making me skinny so I can be happy. Of course, I'd wake up the next morning and I wasn't skinny. So in my mind, I'm like, oh, God doesn't care if I'm fat. Who cares? If God doesn't care, who does care? And that carried me through. So I was in my 20s and um, you know, just kind of living life as best I could. And I met a guy, fell in love, we got married, we moved cross country. And I thought everything was really great because I was in this amazing relationship. But guess what? Even though I had lost a lot of weight and I was in this relationship and we moved cross country and we had kids and we bought a house and we did all this stuff, I was still me and I still came with me and all of my defects still came with me. So the marriage was good, but it wasn't without its problems. And I didn't know how to deal with those problems. I thought that if I was really silent, they would go away. I thought if I yelled loud enough, they would go away. I know what I need to do. I need to be skinny. I need to be fat or I need to be, I didn't know. 
all, while all this was happening, I was very established in my career. I was making money. I had a family. I had a house. Everything seemed great on the surface. So um, everything's going along and everything's going along. And then a week before my 39th birthday, my husband died very suddenly, very unexpectedly. And I had three very young children to care for. And I, bam, went into survival mode because that's what I do really well. Remember, I was taught, you take care of yourself, you take care of your own. And I just, bam, went into survival mode. And my entire existence was about making sure my bills were paid, making sure my house was okay, and making sure my children were okay. And I lived like that for 20 years. I don't know where 20 years went, but for 20 years, my entire focus was like, like this, it's myopic, around my family and my career, beginning, middle, and end. That was my story. And then about three, Years ago, I was getting dressed for my niece's wedding, nothing fit, surprise, surprise, and I looked in the mirror and I did not recognize myself. I was gone. I, I, did, not, I did not exist. I did not recognize myself. I did not recognize how overweight I had become. Oh, and by the way, in those 20 years and, and for the you know, 57 years prior to that, I was on every known diet. I'm, I'm, this is, again, it's everyone's story I, I, or many people's story. I shouldn't speak for everyone in the room, but it, that was my story. I had tried the grapefruit diet. I had tried the boiled potato diet. I had tried Atkins. I had tried South Beach. I had tried every commercial diet out there. And guess what? They all worked and I was able to lose weight. What didn't work was me. I did not know how to work my life to be not compulsive around food. So I, in fact, I even convinced a doctor, I guess, I don't know if I was in my fifties or whatever. I convinced a doctor, I switched doctors purposely because I found a doctor who I thought would be a pushover. I convinced this doctor that I had adult ADHD so bad that I needed Adderall because I knew Adderall was speed and it was an appetite suppressant. And I'm, I'm the only person I know on Adderall who gained weight because all it did was let me sleep less so I had more hours in a day to do things, including eat more. It was insanity. And I didn't realize I was on this hamster wheel of insanity. So flash forward, I look in the mirror and I don't recognize myself. I don't know what else to do. I do have someone in my life very close to me who has recovery in another 12-step program. So I said, hmm, maybe there's a 12-step program for me. Now, here's the background, why I walked into meetings and never declared myself a newcomer. Because once, when I was, I don't know, about 16 or 17, I did go to an OA meeting with my mother. She wanted to get a diet to lose weight for my brother's bar mitzvah. So she had heard about this program that gave you the gray sheet. It gave you a diet plan that would work for her. So she dragged me with her. We walked into a meeting. I had no idea where I was, what I was doing. She got the gray sheet. She went on to follow that diet plan and lost a whole bunch of weight. And I never went back. So then, you know, flash forward now 40 more years. Oh, I'm not a newcomer. I went to a meeting once. So in my mind, I was justified in doing that. What my behaviors around food involved was hiding food from my children. I would do drive through I would scarf down food in the car. And I'd say, oh, no, I just got a diet soda. My kids could smell 
all the other food that was in the car. But no, I threw it away really fast with the smelling was in a car. I would buy two boxes of something, one in the front of the pantry for my children, and I put the other one way behind the pots and pans, and that was my midnight stash. I lied about food constantly. I remember as a child, my mother says, okay, put that away now. And I said, okay. And as I threw away, I grabbed another and shoved of whatever it was and shoved it in my mouth and then put the jar away. Like I used to do those little behaviors and it was insidious. So here I was now 57 or 58, however old I was, looking in the mirror and not recognizing myself saying, I need help, I need to do something. So I went to a meeting and I went to a little meeting and um, there were about four people there, three, four people there. No one recognized me, that was fine. I thought everyone was absolutely off their rockers crazy. The way they were talking about God and the way they were talking about their food, it made no sense to me. But some, so when someone said to me, oh, you know, there's another meeting on this day, would you come? I was all set to say, oh, heck no. And what came out of my mouth was, sure, tell me where it is. I have no idea where that voice came from. So I went to another meeting. And again, I thought everyone was, you know, a little bit off their rockers. They were, it was very cult-like for me. I was a little scared of this. And um, someone said, oh, you know, there's this other meeting tomorrow morning, blah, blah, blah. You want me to give you the address? And what came out of my mouth was, sure, I'd love to know about it. I have no idea why. And I started going to meetings regularly. People said to me, go to as many meetings as you can in the beginning and you'll eventually hear your story. Well, I wasn't going to hear my story because I am terminally unique. My story is not your story and there's no way you could possibly understand my struggles with my emotions, my inability to handle my emotions because I thought I had to handle emotions. And there's no way you could understand my struggle. I don't know, were you widowed with three, with a nursing baby? It's like, you don't know my story, you don't know me. But I kept going to meetings anyway. Then I discovered literature and I said, well, I'm a really smart person. I put myself through school at a very young age. I could read the literature and figure it out. So I read step one, had a hard time with the second part of it. Like I understood that, you know, I'm a compulsive, I'm compulsive with food, but my life had become unmanageable. I didn't think my life was unmanageable. I had the career, had the kids, had the family, had the house, had dogs. My life's not unmanageable, but all right, I'll just forget the second part of step one and move on. Step two, came to believe that a higher power, uh, yeah, I'm faith-based. Okay, yeah, yeah, let's move on. Step three, willing to surrender over to my higher power. Um, yeah, I tried that, it doesn't work, but if you say so, okay, I'll go along. Step four, whoa, got to step four and I said, no, 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 I'm not gonna do step four because you don't know me, this is not my fault. This is circumstantial. And um, I, just, I just wasn't willing, so I kind of, Kept going to meetings though. I don't know why. I don't know why. And then I heard somebody, because people kept saying, you're going to hear your story. You're going to hear your story. I didn't hear my story. What I did hear though was a woman share something that shook me to my core that she was willing to come to a meeting on a day when she had something else very important to do later in the day. And that shook me so much. That was the turning point for me because what I heard, even though I did not relate to what she said, what I heard that I wanted was commitment to recovering. What I heard in her share was her commitment to herself. And that's when it hit me and said, that's what I want. 
So I went up to her. She wasn't available to sponsor me. She gave me the number of someone else who to this day is still my sponsor. And again, my judgments all came up. She's half my age and she kind of talks like this. And I figured she couldn't relate, you know. She doesn't have grown children. Oh, she could have been my daughter. And I'm like, no. She's been an amazing sponsor. I still have her sponsoring me to this day. That was a turning point for me. That was a turning point for me. I do not do steps with her. I work steps. And it's kind of like a bell that you can't unring. Once I worked step one and really accepted, you know, my life had become unmanageable. Before she was willing to work with me, she goes, here, answer these questions so we can kind of get to know each other, see if we want to work with each other. And one of the questions was, in what ways other than with food are you compulsive? And I looked at it and I said, oh, no way. Um, there's nothing other than food. I'm not a compulsive person. But because I decided to do this in conjunction with my children, um, I posed this question to them. And... Um, I said, do you think I'm compulsive in any other ways other than with food? And they turned around, and I'm not going to say what they actually said because it's a little bit blue, but they turned to each other and almost did a spit take and said, are you kidding us by asking us this question? You don't think you're compulsive? Now, of course, with hindsight, I can see how I am compulsive about everything in my life, including setting up my desk to work from home with, should I put my pencil can to the right of my desk or left of my desk? And like, I'm compulsive. That's what I do. So, um, so I'm, I include my children in this journey and I start to get honest and I go, huh, maybe I really do need to look at myself that this is not a food issue. This is a me issue. This is not about my food. My food is but a symptom of what's bugging me. And what's bugging me is that I don't know how to really do life on the surface. I know how to do life really well. I'm the person that you call in an emergency. I'm the person who's very strong. I'm the person, you know, I'm that person. But I didn't know really how to do life. I didn't know really how to do relationships. I didn't really know how to do any emotion, not just the emotions that I didn't want to deal with. I didn't know how to do the emotions that I wanted. I didn't know how to do love. I didn't know how to do fun. I didn't know how to do joy and excitement. Because if I was joyous and excited, that meant going out to eat something. Or that meant getting a special dessert to share with everyone. I didn't know how to experience those things. So I come into program and I get to the whole God thing. And I said, yeah, I'm faith-based. I can skip over that chapter, right? No. I used to, and this is what I learned, that what I did was I asked God for the result. I was telling God. I was dictating. I was mandating what God should do for me because I'm a good person. And clearly that doesn't work. So instead I had to really surrender. And here's something, a lot of things come to me in dreams. I'm, I have very powerful dreams that, that, that are pretty ominous. But very early on in my recovery, I dreamed I was going to my refrigerator. It was actually my freezer to get something that in real life doesn't exist. But I'm telling you, man, if I were a baker, if I were going to do something and invent this particular, you know, delicacy, I'd probably make a mint. But I was going to the freezer and I opened it up to get this thing. And as I was going, reaching my hand in to get it, I actually felt something smack my hand and say no. And I kind of woke up in a start and I actually was like rubbing my hand. Like I sleep alone. The dogs weren't hitting me. This was in my mind, whatever it was, this is my interpretation of it. This was God saying, you're better than this. I have a bigger plan for you. I need you to be a even 
greater service than you are in your life. Because I am in a service profession. That's what I've always dedicated my life to. But in that moment, that's when I got it. That's when I got the third step where I get to surrender my life. I, turn, I can turn my life and my will over to my higher power, who I choose to call God. That's my choice. I, I have a hard time with pronouns. I don't say him or he. It's, it's, it's my higher power. It's my God. And I am able to, every morning when I get out of bed, remind myself that I am a compulsive eater. I am powerless over food. It does not matter that I was in recovery and I was abstinent yesterday. What matters is I wake up and it's Groundhog's Day and I wake up a compulsive overeater, powerless over food. And I say steps one, two, and three. I say the third step prayer. And then I get out of bed and I pet my dogs and I start my day and I do whatever else I need to. I need that reminder every day. I need to connect because here's what's true for me. And again, I'm only speaking for me my experience and my understanding. Ivy, you have 10 minutes left. Thank you, Renee. Um, is that when I am aligned with my higher power and I am truer to the spiritual part of my physical being, I can be more productive and I can be a greater service to this global, you know, what we're involved in. I can be a better citizen. I can be present for you when you tell me something and I can look at you. I used to, I used to listen to you waiting for my turn to talk. Now I actually listen. So 10 minutes left. Let me explain to you what I do now. Aside from what I just told you that I wake up every morning, say steps one, two, and three. I say the third step prayer and then I start my day. I do pauses during the day. I never do that. I never did pauses. I never stopped. This is actually the truth that I literally, up until 30 minutes before I came on to speak, I was in the hospital with my mother. She was rushed to the ER. I drove her to the ER today and we were there all day long and she's not well. This is her third time that I took her to the hospital this month. It's not COVID related, but she is in a lot of pain right now. And I was just there for her and I wasn't resentful because I had a lot of work to get done today. I got to be of service to my mother and that was a gift that I got to give my mother. And I truly experienced the gift of so much so that one of the nurses looked at me and said, wow, were you raised right? Look, I, I'm blown away by how you're caring for your mother. Like I literally was putting socks on her feet and rubbing her feet. This is what I get to do. I don't have to do this. No one's making me do this. I get to be of service. Why? Because I am aligned with a higher power who says to me, you're okay. You can get your work done tomorrow. And as it turns out, I came home and tried to get online to do some of my work. And there are glitches in the programs I have to use. They're working on it. I can't do the work today anyway. Like that was God. That was God saying, see girl, I've got your back on this. You didn't miss a day's work. You needed to be with your mother. You got to be of service. That's me working tandem with my higher power. I get to be in alignment with my higher power. And I'm very cognizant of it every day and everything that I do. What else I do is every evening, I write a 10th step, including a gratitude list. And my 10th step comes straight, at, straight out of page 83 in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I answer the questions that, that are asked of me every single night. And I list things I'm grateful for. I live in the gratitude. We're living in a crazy time right now. I am so grateful. I have a roof over my head. My children live all within 10 miles of me. My mother lives within a mile of me. I've got my dogs who are all healthy. 
you know, we got food in our, in our pantry. We're good. We're good. I live in this gratitude every day. Every doctor, nurse, and cl clinician I saw today at the hospital, I said, thank you for your service. I live in the gratitude. Um, I also pre-commit my food. I have an abstinence. My personal abstinence is no recreational sugar, no binging, no restricting. It's that simple. And honestly, if I had a nickel for every time the big book said the word simple, I could retire now. It's simple. It's not easy. It is simple. It's a simple guideline that is laid out for us in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am, um, I, what else do I do? So I have my abstinence. I have a food plan. My food plan is three meals a day, up to two optional snacks, and a snack is not the same size as a meal. A meal is a plate. A meal is a portion. I, a meal is not as much as I can eat at the buffet. A meal is, it's not meal time. I don't eat from six to seven. I eat a meal. That's my meal. But I pre-commit my food, and initially I thought that was going to be very restrictive, and actually I find it's very freeing. I set it and forget it. Here's my food. Take the food from me. It, things, today things had to change because I wasn't home to prepare my meals. I was at the hospital and stuff. And all I did was I picked up the phone and I texted. Thank God we live in the age of technology where I could pick up my phone and say, hey, I'm at the hospital. I didn't have my planned lunch. I had this instead. Done. All I have to be is honest. I don't have to be perfect. I have to be honest. I am very aware also that this is my progress, not my perfection. I work steps constantly. I work a 10th step. I work an 8th step constantly. And I make amends. I don't apologize for things. I make amends. If I make a mistake, I will say, you know, I will apologize for it and I will figure out a way to not make that same mistake again. That's my amends. That's my amends. I'm sorry if I said something that hurt you and I watch my tongue more. I gossip way less now than I ever did. I am less judgmental now than I ever was. I try to lead with love in everything I do. I don't lead with my judgment. I don't lead with my fears. And as with everything, you know, a fear can sometimes be an asset. A defect can be an asset. It depends how you use it. Me being very organized is a really good thing in my job, but me being hyper-organized is a compulsion. And that's not good. And when I start staying up at night, rethinking literally where I put the yellow pen on my desk, do I put the yellow marker with the pink marker or do I put the yellow marker with my pencil so I can highlight things I write? But this is not something I need to occupy my brain with. So I need to drop those thoughts and just breathe. So much so I have the word breathe tattooed on my foot because it's a reminder constantly that I need to stop and pause. And not only do I have to stop and pause and breathe and ask for guidance, I have to then stay quiet so I can hear the guidance and receive it. That was huge for me. I could ask questions all the time. That doesn't mean I listen to your answer. That doesn't mean I even bother to hear your answer. So now when I pray to my higher power, I, I, I kind of put the question out there and then I'm still, and sometimes that stillness is 20 seconds because it's very hard for me to sit and meditate. That's some place that I do have room for improvement on, but sometimes I just kind of go, okay, I'm going to breathe and see what comes to me. And then two thought will come to me. It happened, I, I, you know, long story short, I was fostering some dogs, didn't know what to do, had an intuitive thought to call my brother. And the next morning, my mother called and said, hey, call your brother about the dogs. I was talking to him yesterday. He's looking for dogs just like the ones you have. It was like, how did that come to me? I don't know. It came to me because I stopped and I paused and I listened. So that's a really big thing for me. Um, 
I have a sponsor who I still work with. I call her at set appointment times three times a week. I have sponsees who I work with, who I speak with at set appointment times three times a week, like clockwork, come, and we do, we work steps together. We do, we start with a big book. I love the big book. It has become an anthem for me just to like sing these. I, I created little songs and little prayers from the big book. It's, um, I think it's divinely written. I don't know if it is. It just, I, I don't know how a person could have written this and spoken to me because I'm so unique. And yet everything this person says about alcohol relates to me and my relationship with food. Um, I've learned how to adults differently. I've learned how to relate to my children differently. You know, um, my daughter recently just got married here during this time, but nonetheless, when she was first engaged, I took her aside and I said, look, I can either take hold of part of your wedding and like give me, you know, I'll do the catering or I'll do the, the flowers or I'll do whatever, or I can just give you a chunk of change and then you can handle it yourself. I am here for you. Tell me what you want from me. How can I be of service to you for your wedding? And she just stopped and she goes, who are you? What? Because that wouldn't have been me 20 years ago. 20 years ago, I would have said, I'll handle it. Don't worry. I can do all this. I'm different now. I get to ask questions. What do you need from me? And then I get to be of service in a way that you can utilize the service, not the way I think you need to be. So, um, so those are the steps. I work the steps and I work them repeated. It's like a, you know, it's, it's almost like a web. It's not like I, oh, I, I did step one. I'll wait till I come around to step one again. No, I do step one every morning. I, I do the different steps with, if I need to do an eighth step, if I need to do a fourth step, because I got pissed at someone from work, I do a, four, a mini fourth step. I work the steps. Now that I've gone through the steps the first time, I work them every day, you know, like a web. Um, I have a sponsor, I have a sponsee, I have a food plan, I have um, abstinence. I'm grateful. I live in my gratitude. And with that, I'm just going to say word of the day, gratitude, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Ivy. So we actually have two minutes left. Um, so if anyone has any questions for Ivy, um, I'm gonna open the chat back up. So if anyone wants to ask their question verbally, feel free to use the raise hand function. I already see a few of you uh, are hopping right on that. Um, and I will call on you, or if you would prefer to ask your question typing, you can message it to me. So. Um, it looks like we have Anna first. Anna, would you like to go ahead and unmute yourself and ask your question? Sure. Uh, well, thank you so much for your share. That was awesome. Um, yeah, I really related to a lot. Um, I'm wondering how do you keep the grateful mindset, the grateful attitude when something like today happens with your mother? She's alive. I'm alive. I get to do that. I have a car. She doesn't have a car. I get to drive her. I just look at all the little things because those are the things that matter. The big stuff doesn't exist in my life anymore. And, um, you know, complaining is for people with options. I don't have an option. <laughs> That's the way I look at it. <laughs> Thank you. That's the short answer. <laughs> Thank you. Perfect. And that brings us right to 620. So thank you so much. Let's give it up for Ivy, everyone. Yay.